0: There. Here we go. And the penalty shot.
1: You gonna score? Yes. Jimmy Howard is not at all happy with the call. I guess he was beaten on the back.
2: Sounded like a really great idea, when I suggested the penalty shot from last night as the highlight. And then I was even more excited when it was going to be a, the Canadian version with Bob Cole on the call, who I've always liked. Yeah. Then it turned out to be somewhat stoic and it's, not all that. It's very understated,
1: and it's not, uh, it's not.
2: It's very visual too. Yeah.
1: Sometimes yeah. Uh, the announcers will kind of let like the like the call breathe or whatever, let the play. Yes. But it was an away game. Like the, right. the goal scorer was in the opponent's right. building, so there wasn't much of a reaction from the crowd. But, yeah, Michael Frohlich, uh he's a, a trivia question now. Yeah, back-to-back.
2: Back, the last two penalty shot goals in the NHL playoffs. Successful penalty shot.
1: And I think he's the only one to have two penalty shot goals in the playoffs. That maybe. could
2: very easily be true because you don't see them often. And I think that's why it was so controversial. Uh, the call, which despite being the correct call, got a lot of controversy on Twitter and other places as potentially being a little bit on the ticky-tack side. And I think that's just because penalty shots do tend to be so rare right? that when they do do come about, people think it has to be this massive infraction. But really, the rule states now that if you're in the clear and the something that would be a penalty takes away the scoring opportunity, which it did, the puck ended up in the corner. Yeah. Our boy, uh, off.
1: or I don't know if it was actually Greg Wyshynski, but someone at Puck Daddy did a pretty good job of breaking down why it was a good call and the... The real reason that we're surprised by it is just that that call isn't made more often.
2: Which it should be. Right. I would love to see a penalty shot every time the rule book warrants one. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Every rule should be called that way, really. Right. But uh, welcome to the show, the Sportscasters uh, Season 3, Episode 13. It's May twenty 2013. I'm Steve Bennett, Don Russ in the chair across from me. Got a great show scheduled for you today. Uh, a little bit of uh, audible at the line of scrimmage today. We are going to have Chris Burke from sportsillustrated.com, the Audible's blog, a guy kind of transitioning from a less predominant to a more predominant role at SI as uh, SI.com becomes more important in the SI landscape. And uh, maybe the Audible's blog wasn't much to you before the draft, but maybe is more now because they really did focus a lot on the draft and I thought did a great job. We're going to talk to our buddy Chris Burke from SI.com about that today. The other interview we were supposed to have today was Malcolm Kelly, but he was on location in Oklahoma filming something uh, hmm. today, and it got busy. So we're going to record an interview with him sometime the next day or two, and he'll be a part of next week's show, uh, which will also feature the original sportscaster's guest, Jeff Passen from YahooSports.com, who we always love chatting with this time of year about baseball. Uh, So Jeff Passon and Malcolm Kelly next week, Chris Burke and Ed Sherman from ShermanReport.com and back with the Chicago Tribune writing about sports media there, one of the biggest newspapers in the country. So Ed Sherman and Chris Burke on the show today. We're also going to talk a little bit about Kickstarter again in the the update. We're going to talk a little bit about a documentary we mentioned last time in case you missed that. And we're going to end the show with uh, one last thing as we've been doing the last few weeks. Uh, Please follow us on Twitter at sports underscore casters. Shoot us an email if you like, the sportscasters at gmail.com, and uh, tell us what you think about the podcast, and uh, while you do that, we're going to get things started with three things. Let's play a game. All yeah. right. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback.
3: <laughs> this is the funnest night ever. <laughs> Best yep. Now let's move on to
2: other business. Alright, for the first thing this week, we're going to do what we've been doing the last few weeks, and that's share the first thing and concentrate on updating what's happened in the week that was of the NHL and NBA playoffs. And I'll start with the NBA. And we have a team in the finals. They're down to three in the NBA now, as the Western Conference Finals was a sweep by the San Antonio Spurs, who have been... The most impressive team, really, in the playoffs so far. Two of their three series have been sweeps. Uh, And then they had a six-game series mixed in there with Golden State. But they really took care of Memphis, who was an impressive team previous to this round, and uh, took care of them relatively easily. A really great game one that the Spurs kind of broke the Grizzlies' back, maybe on that game-winning three by Ginobili, but maybe never quite recovered from that. But the Spurs are going to be in the... NBA Finals for I think the fifth time in fifteen years, something like that. First time in a bit, but I think two thousand and seven might be the last time they were there. So it's it's been a few years now. I always it's it's always such a struggle for me to think that two thousand and seven was like six years ago already, you know. But
1: yeah, I still think the nineties were ten years ago, right? And it's like not right. I have a brother who
2: just had a birthday, twenty two, and he was born in nineteen ninety one. That doesn't seem like it should be twenty two years ago, right? But uh. So the the Spurs are are in the finals, and they're what they're going to do is basically wait a while. the The finals aren't going to start till June eighth, I believe, is the date. Wow, June, so,
1: regardless of what happens in this series. Well, yeah, I guess they the, have to have it scheduled out to seven if
2: it's scheduled. And I I I I, want, I don't I don't I don't think I'm wrong. You know, what, this it's, series it's next ten- Tuesday. What's the date next Tuesday? Not the eighth. It's the fourth, right? I should have said the fourth. Yes, the that, fourth. That's that's the date. It's the fourth.
1: Yeah, because the series could potentially be over as soon as Thursday.
2: Oh, well, it says here I was I was twice. Thursday, June sixth. June sixth. Okay, that, to that is determined. still nine that's a long time. See, yep. Uh, so that's it's an eight day break. When did nine day? When break. did San Antonio close? Last night
1: they closed it out. Last night, yep. yep. And the Heat could have as much as a week off if they close it out on Thursday.
2: Right, and the Heat—that's the other series. Not that that's one. a given. The Pacers have been have been good. They weren't good in Game Three. Uh, that one was maybe what you would expect right. from the the Heat at least, just playing a really complete and solid and dominating game. But if they don't, the Pacers don't make a defensive substitution that they make in Game One. Maybe LeBron James doesn't have that easy layup to win that game, and maybe it's two to one Pacers right now and not Heat. But I think the key really to this series is the game tonight at eight thirty. The Pacers really need to win this game and even the series. I think if they go back to Miami in an elimination situation, I'd be surprised if it got back to Indianapolis.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I would have to agree.
2: But I think if you're looking at best case scenario for the NBA, you heat, want spurs. you want Heat Spurs at right. this point. You don't want any part of Pacer Spurs at all. Yep. That I... doesn't seem like anything that would move a needle nationally. No. You want LeBron for sure. Absolutely, you need LeBron. You get LeBron versus Duncan. Duncan and the Spurs historically haven't moved the needle very much for the NBA, but I think because of the culmination of events, I think that that could be a really big story this year. And if you put them against the Spurs or against the Heat and LeBron, I think they could do well there. So, but man, they wait forever to start these games. I mean, they don't play until not the, the NBA Finals. All the games are scheduled to start at nine o'clock. Wow. Last night on a Monday to end a holiday weekend, sitting around waiting until 9 o'clock to start your playoff game just seems crazy to me. Yeah, absolutely, especially... Uh, Even the NHL game that started at 8 is midway through the second period by the time the, NH- the NBA game <laughs> right. starts. So
1: Yeah, and the NHL, uh, speaking of hockey, has kind of mirrored in a weird way the NBA playoffs and the- just flopping the conferences. In the East, in the NHL, uh, it was kind of... Not much to watch. Really. Rough second round. Yeah, Boston or the Rangers and Ottawa kind of showed that they're they're the best they're, teams in the East. Well, I said Rangers in Ottawa. Oh yes, they're not of, as good as the teams. They're they kind lost of to. not right. contenders yet. No, uh, Pittsburgh and Boston. Boston maybe had a shaky start in the first series, but they proven that they're the. Perennial cup contender and Pittsburgh is Pittsburgh, and it's kind of dismantled Ottawa. Yeah, the Pittsburgh
2: five-game victory over Ottawa was as bad of a was lopsided of a playoff series as I've seen in a long time in the second round. Uh, Pittsburgh just not even playing that well in the first couple of games defensively. Just really took control of that series, and they you could see their confidence building as it went on too. I think Pittsburgh Boston should be an outstanding series. But before we get to that, we have two great days of game you dream Seven. Game Seven, yep. you know, and they've been good series, especially LA San Jose has been real back and forth. Maybe the series that people have seen the least in the second round because of the ten o'clock California yeah, and the yeah. late starts, but it's been back and forth. You know, nobody's been down two games. It's kind of been win a game, win a game, win a game kind of a thing. And uh, now we have Chicago, who was the best team in the league all year found themselves in a 3-1 hole and has managed to win the last two and now gets to try to finish off Detroit in Game 7, which I think that they'll do. Uh, I think Detroit had their chance to win this last night and, and they, didn't, w- they w- couldn't close it out in the third.
1: It would be odd for them to get back to a Game 7 at home. I mean, stranger things I'm sure happen, but it's been De- Detroit's been Detroit. I, I know some people don't like Detroit just because, probably because they're always there, but man, it's, it's a franchise hard not to at least I respect. totally respect
2: what they've done. And I thought, we mentioned this in the beginning of the year, would Detroit be a different playoff team without Lidstrom? You know, Would the loss of Lidstrom and his leadership affect them on the ice? And it really hasn't. They've been outstanding, and they're nowhere near as talented as Chicago. This is not supposed to be a year where Detroit is contending for the Cup. This isn't supposed to be a year where Detroit is supposed to be knocking off Chicago. This is supposed to be a year where Detroit... Kind of happy to be there, happy to win around, but they've played much of right. much at a much higher level than that. Jonathan Taves not having a great series, and neither has Patrick Kane. I think no. that, that's been a big problem for them. Right, you know, really, if you look back to the last couple games of the Cup run, if you go, I think from Patrick Kane's game-winning goal in the uh, Philadelphia Philadelphia series to win the Cup, I think he has three playoff goals since then, and I think wow. Jonathan Taves has four. So both of them have really struggled in the last like thirty or so Blackhawks playoff. And that's games.
1: weird, especially from Taves. I would say because Kane is a little more of a finesse guy. Taves is kind of your prototypical captain. Like this is when he He's should called shine. Captain
2: serious, right?
1: Right. This is when he should shine. Is in the NHL it, and it's been like the playoffs. opposite. He's
2: been a bit of a baby. He's kind of had a couple breakdowns. Lots of penalty minutes.
1: He had like three straight penalties. Yeah, in, he had uh, six game minutes game in five five penalties or, or, and six. Or no, minutes it was an earlier game. Time. But yeah, yeah, it was ugly.
2: Yeah, so, but I think, and Taves did get a goal in game five, a big goal. The winner, I think. That he needed, and Kane looked really dangerous last night. He didn't get a goal, but he did play very, very well, and and Taves got a big assist on a play that was all him and one of the goals. I I don't know. I just think the Blackhawks, barring Crawford not being good enough, which, and he gave up a really weak goal, which is why I think Detroit missed such a huge opportunity last night because they get that goal late in the second period on what was essentially a knuckle puck from way out that Crawford just whiffed on. And they get to go up two to one, 20 minutes away from eliminating the President's trophy winning team and they just couldn't close it. You know, and, and Chicago really played their best period of the series, which is what you want going from a game six to a seven. And now Detroit has every reason to doubt themselves, right?
1: Yeah, you would think so. I mean they had this wrapped up. What was it? Three one at one point?
2: Three to one, yeah. Yep. So one last hockey note before we move on. Detroit's old Stanley Cup playoff rival Colorado hired Patrick Patrick Waugh today to be their head coach and VP of hockey operations. And keep an eye on that. That's going to be fun. Patrick Waugh, if you don't know what kind of personality he has, (laughs) full of bravado. Oh, yeah. Not a guy who is shy about. He can't hear you over the Stanley Cup things in his ears. Yeah, they're in his ears. So he should be fun. And uh, he's got a lot of color, and he's a good guy to have be a part of the league. And I'm excited to see what he does. And I really hope that. They do the right thing and pick Seth Jones. I know a lot of people have said that Nate McKinnon had a great Memorial Cup and maybe has passed Seth Jones a little bit. But I think if you have a chance to pick
1: Hometown an kid. American
2: kid who basically was born and raised in your city, not born but raised in your city, uh, and someone with an African-American skilled player who, oh, right, you yeah. know, is in the NHL, I just think that that's the pick if you're them. But hey, maybe, they, maybe they'd maybe they rather go at the center. We'll see. But uh, it should be interesting to see what happens with uh, with the
1: avalanche. Absolutely. Uh, my second thing this week, kind of an odd stat, a little bit of a slow week. Uh, Steve and I talked while we were doing preparation for this show, and uh, it's really about we, the playoffs. We this could, week. right? We yeah. could talk about the French Open, but that, we, what are we going to say? Serena about Williams it? lost. So some of my things here are a little bit uh, off the board, but this is kind of a cool stat. This week, Stanford's women's tennis team won the NCAA title, and they actually did it in somewhat. Uh, Miraculous fashion, kind of uh, similar to your brother's Yale run this year to fulfill the Yale quota for the day. But they beat the one, three, four, and 5 seed to win the women's tennis championship. Wow. And uh, the reason, I mean, that's cool enough on its own, I suppose, but we don't really focus much on women's college tennis. No. But that gives Stanford a title in at least one sport for 37 consecutive years. Wow. Most of them are sports you don't care about or never have heard about. Right. A big chunk of those are women's tennis, but that's a pretty cool thing for their uh, AD or whatever to be able to hang on his wall that 37 consecutive years, someone in that school has been a national champion.
2: Yeah, and if we want to put that into perspective, when Yale won the national championship in hockey, that was their first national champion in Anything. any sport yeah. since a swimming, an individual swimming championship in the 50s. Wow. It yep. was their first team one. And their first of any kind since swimming in the 50s. So good job, Stanford. 37 straight years. And a couple other NCAA notes. Uh, Duke won their second lacrosse title, defeating okay. Syracuse to win the uh, lacrosse national championship. And baseball, the College World Series, is getting ready to start. They have 64 teams in that. They have eight number one seeds. And Canisius made the tournament, which is a local college in Buffalo, the college that Corey Conacher went to, and it's kind of made famous in the NHL circles this year. But Canisius got their bid to the tournament in an extra innings walk-off hit-by-pitch to wow. win their automatic bid, 12-11. to 11. Wow. It's kind of ultimate take-one for the team. I guess so. Get hit by a pitch, win the game, and go to the tournament.
1: How bad does it suck that when you hear Duke Lacrosse, the first thing you think about isn't any sort of... On the the rape scandal. Yeah, and it turns out
2: it was all bogus, right? Yeah, I don't. I don't think it was what it started out to be. But yeah, but that's but their good second, for them. Second yeah. title, and I think they've been to seven final fours in a row in lacrosse. Won two titles. So awesome. All right, my second thing. I got off on a little tangent there. Uh, a couple of NFL running backs got themselves maybe into trouble. I don't know. Uh, Let's see what Don thinks about these two stories. First, my man Adrian Peterson uh, is in a little bit of trouble because of some things that he said on Sirius XM NFL radio. He was asked his thoughts on the Vikings cutting longtime potter Chris Cluey, who is an outspoken advocate for gay rights and gay marriage. And Don has talked about how Cluey thought that maybe his nature of being outspoken was a reason that turned into it. And he said, Adrian said, it hurt me to see him leave. Uh, He considers Cluey to be a good friend, but he differs with the punter on the subject of gay marriage. Adrian said this, and tell me if you think that this is a controversial statement. I have heard this. To each his own, but I'm not with it. I have relatives who are gay. I'm not biased towards them. I still treat them the same. I love them. But again, I'm not with that. That's not something I believe in, but to each his own. Um, So basically what we have here is what we always want from athletes. But it's an ultimate catch-22 for the athletes because we always want them to give us their opinion. We want athletes to say what they think. We don't want to hear the same cliches that we often do from athletes. But when said athlete veers away from what we think the acceptable norms are in society, we immediately crucify them for that. Now, what is your opinion on this, Don? I will probably always lean towards taking Adrian's side on anything. I will admit – and have admitted on this show and our football show, I have an out-of-control man crush, if you want to call it that, on Adrian. <laughs> it's a guy I've followed since he's 17 years old, and we'll talk. We'll get Chris Burke's opinion on it later. But where do you stand on what Adrian said? Is Did he take it too far? Did he cross the line? Did he I, do anything wrong here?
1: I don't think so at all. And if you want to go all the way back to, and this is not sports-related at all, but the owner of Chick-fil-A or something said something along the lines of he doesn't agree with gay marriage. I think that's perfectly fine for them to say. And actually, Chris Cluie, uh, who I've mentioned this several times before now, is a, an active poster on the website Reddit. And he even said, uh, I'm going to weigh in on this since it seems to be a lot of people are jumping on it. I think AP's comments are being made much more a big deal than they need to be primarily because it's the offseason and there's nothing going on. Do I hold a different stance than AP? Yes, I do. However, I have no right to try to force AP to change his beliefs, just as I wouldn't want him to try and force me to change mine. What matters is his actions, and I've never once seen AP say that gay people should be discriminated against, should not be allowed to live their lives, or can campaign in any way to make that happen, either in the locker room or in public. Uh, he goes on. I mean, Chris Kluwe is a real logical guy, even though he happens... I shouldn't say even, though. He's very logical. He just happens to be also very liberal and outspoken and uh that's how i feel exactly
2: and i think we have similar opinions on the issue of gay marriage in the sense that probably if someone asked us to decide we would probably both just say make it legal because i don't because it just doesn't matter to us right. it just i i think we spend way too much time as a country in general fighting over this it just seems like and and i hear some of the injustices that come out of gays not being able to marry and it almost – it makes me lean towards thinking it should be legal. Right. If, if I was forced to give a, an actual opinion, not be wish-washy about it, my opinion would be that it should be a legal right for gays to marry. Yeah, I just see it And that's it as, even from someone who tends to lean right, generally speaking. I
1: just don't see the harm in it.
2: I, I mean – I don't see the harm in it and I do see the harm that comes of it not being legal. Think, right. You know, estate issues I mean, and if you benefit wanna... things
1: and – if you get into something like should marijuana be legalized, I think that should also be legalized. But I understand the arguments against it, uh, health reasons, all this other, whatever. But this isn't that. I just don't see the reason why someone else's beliefs should dictate. Right, and how I someone disagree with I
2: disagree with Adrian in this in this particular opinion. But I don't think his comments were malicious, and I would much rather hear from players and, and and get their honest opinions about things and I hope we can get to a point where we can accept people's opinion even if it strays sure. from what yeah. isn't what we think is script at this
1: point. I I haven't has the lesbian gay community come after him at all. I know the media has a little bit.
2: The, you know I, I I it's it's kind of just kind of straddled the fence a bit so far. Yeah. I, I don't think everyone's really ready to know. It's almost like the Mike Wallace thing when Jason Collins came out. And Mike Wallace had a comment like he was a little less. Uh, his was more silly. About it. Yeah, and it was yeah, kind yeah. of came off as kind of like boyish, yes. almost immature comment. Right. And I think it kind of got written off as a someone kind of dumb he, saying naive. something yeah, dumb. Yeah, yeah. But in his comment was something like, "There's I, so many hot girls around. Why, How would, you could, why would you want a dude yeah, or something yeah, like yeah. that?" But I don't know. I would much rather. I, You know, I I don't think Adrian is coming from a wrong place. And he was asked a question. He addressed it. He wasn't going to an anti-gay marriage uh, march and protesting or anything like that. So, I don't know. Let's give it a chance. Put it in perspective. And I hope that it doesn't prevent Adrian from speaking his mind in the future. And then the other real quick thing is there was a big controversy brewing all day that Adrian, or excuse me, Maurice Jones-Drew was going to be charged with misdemeanor battery. Uh, for punching a security guard. Apparently, that's not true. Uh, the police department said in a statement that Jones-Drew maintains his innocence and is cooperating fully with its investigation. And this
1: sounds a lot like the Adrian thing
2: where it sounds he like hit a incident, bouncer or an something. An incident broke and out and Jones-Drew left before it escalated to the point of violence.
1: Right, and he, uh, they said that he's been totally cooperative and all this stuff. It, it's weird because you could see the skeptic in me sees both sides of it. The one side that wants to say, like, okay, these guys are easy targets because they're rich, they're recognizable. Uh, someone else might see a payday or something if they sue this guy. The other side of it is, well, these guys are rich. Maybe they just make problems go away. You know, like a police officer is like, oh, well, that's Maurice Jones drew That's Adrian Peterson. We'll let them slide. But I don't know. I, I, I feel the same way about this as I did when the Peterson hitting the bouncer one supposedly came out. I'm in a side on the side of Maurice Jones Drew for the most part. He's always been an upstanding football player. He's a for the great most dude part. it seems like. From yeah. what
2: we what, what we what we've been able to see, he seems like one of the brighter lights in the league. You know, he's real fun. Him, he comes Ray, off great on television. Ray
1: Rice would be another guy that if I heard he got into trouble, I would probably side on his side because he's such just such a good guy. And maybe
2: Marshawn Lynch is an example of someone we might not initially because of, of his past right, right. and troubles. I don't know. But uh yeah, just a couple of things that I Maybe Chris Cooley makes a good point. If they happen during the season, it would maybe slide a little bit more under the radar.
1: Yeah, since we went with the NFL there, I have an update from something we said last week. The draft has been officially moved right. from April to, to May
2: 8th. And we'll talk about that with Chris Burke a little bit, too. Okay,
1: my last thing actually also happens to be NFL-related. The Rams signed six 6'10", 403-pound undrafted free agent Terrell Brown. It's a big dude. What's crazy about this is... To me, I mean, this isn't much of a story. The guy is probably is a defensive make tackle or offensive tackle? He is a defensive player, and they're going to try to move him to offensive tackle. They see him someday as a right tackle. What's wild about this is oh, he ran out of music. Um, if you look at this guy, they have a picture of him. If you just search for uh, what I say his name was Terrell Brown, and there's a picture of him, I don't know where, but it looks like he's talking to some female member of the media. And he's standing there, and you hear these big freak athlete guys, and you, especially offensive linemen, four hundred three pounds. You think some big giant fat guy. If you don't look at anybody else in the picture, he just looks like some giant muscular guy. And then when you look at the other people, it's like, wow, this is just some giant. Mu- he's not a fat guy. He's not a fat offensive lineman. The no, bills he's, a few years. Massive. Yeah, the bills a few years ago signed a guy named Michael Jasper who was like 6'4", 400 pounds. But he was just a fat guy that could run really fast, but he looked like a fat guy. This guy just looks like a monster. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with uh, Terrell Brown of the Rams because he is a freak of nature size-wise. It seems like if football doesn't work out, wrestling would be great for him. He's got a great wrestling body. That's something we didn't talk about, but Vince McMahon or uh, who is it, Jerry the King, I guess, has put out feelers or they did some sort of press conference speaking to NFL draft picks that got cut like they didn't make teams they're trying to recruit them they figure we can help you and you've got some name notoriety from college and athletic yeah we're all we're all over the board here but yeah Yeah.
2: well real quick last thing for me I know we're out of music so we must be going long but uh disappointing offseason for Notre Dame continues Uh, obviously they got blown out in the national championship game and that's where everything has gone wrong with the Teo, fake girlfriend, catfishing stuff, yeah, which was a name. disaster. And now what seemed like a promising, budding career of Everett Golson, the freshman quarterback from last year, he's flunked out of school. He's no longer a student at Notre Dame. And this comes just a few weeks after his backup transferred out of the school. Okay, because I remember they used to like, – to start the season, they kind of rotated guys
1: a little bit, didn't they, situationally? And then Golson just was the better player. So the guy that started rotating the season has transferred out.
2: Yeah, his name is Gunner something. Gunner Keel, maybe something like that. Wow, so now they got to so go. So he's gone. So that means right now they don't have a starting quarterback. Wow. There's uh, three guys in the mix, Tommy Reese, Andrew Hendricks, and Mike Zaire, and they'll have a chance to compete for the job. Reese is a rising senior. He's the only quarterback with starting experience. He's played 18 games for the Irish. So, and I've heard that...
1: So they lost their best player on both sides of the ball this offseason. And the coach
2: is not interested at all in the guy who transferred, potentially transferring back. That's not in the cards at all. Wow. Um, Coach Kelly made that clear today. He did address it and said that in the 30 years now in college ball, and it's like being a dad, you're disappointed, but you know these things happen, and you want your players to be accountable. So far, the word from Notre Dame is that the compliance office and the football program hasn't heard anything from any other schools regarding a transfer. And as of right now, it looks like Golson's going to try to get his grades back up and become eligible again. I don't know what that process is. Right. And I don't imagine it would be anything he could do in time for this season.
1: I will say about this. um, But he is still young enough. You hear about – there's just this assumption that goes on that these star players just aren't going to class. You know what I mean? Like they're showing up, getting a B – Going to practice, but you know what I mean. Like yeah, you got to go to class. There, there is an assumption that, guy schools like Miami in the '90s when they were always good. Like, what are these players? What are they really accountable for all this? So, I guess good on Notre Dame as an academic institution for really making this kid do what
2: he's supposed to be doing. But if you're Notre Dame, you can't let your starting quarterback fall out you got to do it. Well, I mean, right. And I don't have, know like, what they did to try to prevent this from happening. I don't know. Right. They might have thrown 30 tutors in front of them. I don't have that sure, information. Right. So I can't really judge Notre Dame. I just know that this is a guy you got to make sure gets through. You have to do – and you know what? They, and they probably did. Boy, that doesn't look good What come draft time for him. It doesn't. It, it, it looks bad. It, but it looks great for him. Again, this is a guy who would have been a true sophomore this year. So we're talking about a 19-year-old kid essentially right. who can be back on the field as a 20-year-old kid, you know, which would be his draft-eligible year anyway. Right. He wouldn't be draft-eligible this year. And if he can actually get his grades back yep. and maintain the level of play and come back and compete, then you're talking about redemption, which everyone loves. Sure. So the opportunity is out there, but it's a long way back from here, it feels like.
1: Yeah, not, not good. Not a good offseason.
2: All right, so we're going to take a break and come back with Chris Burke from Sports Illustrated and SportsIllustrated.com. All right, our first guest is from East Grand Rapids, Michigan, and is a graduate of the University of Michigan. He has worked as an NFL editor, blogger, and associate producer for FanHouse. Today, he lives in Ann Arbor, where he is a featured NFL blogger for Sports com. It's the Audible's blog at SI.com. A warm sportscaster's welcome to our friend, the talented Chris Burke. What's up, Chris? Hey, how's
3: it going? Thanks for having me again.
2: Yeah, I don't know what's going on with the uh, Michigan Fight songs on YouTube, but it just sounds like half the band's missing or something. What we, like, <laughs> skip through, like, five of them there?
3: It's, it's the off-season, I guess. They're yeah, not I in, guess now.
2: so. You know, I <laughs> had a really, really interesting... Michigan year. Let me tell you about a couple of random Michigan uh, bump-ins I had this year. So, first thing was, I'm watching, I think it was Michigan was playing Cornell in hockey at Madison Square Garden, right? Yep. And I'm watching the game, and I'm like, that goalie just looks so familiar to me. And then I find out it's this kid from Buffalo who I didn't know was a good enough goalie to play at Michigan. I knew he was like a decent goalie, but... I didn't know he was that good. You know, you, you think of Michigan hockey. I, 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 You know, they went to the tournament for 23 straight years. You know, I didn't realize he was that level of a prospect. I was like, oh, great for him. You know, really cool. So both of the goalies in that game were from Western New York, roughly. Uh, the Cornell goalie and the um, Michigan goalie. So there was that. And then a couple months later, I was in the hospital um, getting uh, like, a, like a Crohn's thing and they were kind of just like giving me like a Crohn's oil change type of thing at the hospital and the doctor that was there, one of the doctors that was there, he went to Michigan and uh, we were talking about the basketball team because it was right around the tournament time and then the last thing was, <laughs> <laughs> the last thing was my brother plays hockey at Yale and just to make the tournament, they needed Michigan to lose the very last game of the college hockey playoffs to get to the tournament. And that happened, and then my brother went on to win the national championship. Isn't that weird? Isn't yeah. that just a crazy yeah. Michigan year?
3: Yeah, I remember you uh, reading on Twitter when you all the stuff about the, the hockey tournament and sort of tracking, you know, Michigan needing to lose that game and everything to uh, Notre Dame at the end of the NCAA yeah. tournament. And that was, yeah, that sort of that worked out. Uh,
2: yeah, worked, <laughs> worked out, out them,
3: pretty bro. well for you there. Yeah, that was uh, sort of the disappointing thing for michigan they got hot right at the end of the year and then uh and then couldn't uh, get into the ncaa tournament i was thinking they might have had a chance to run the table and then the team that got like you said the team that got in right instead of them ends up doing just that so it was uh, kind of a painful
2: <laughs> and two of the big follow. kind of, reasons, to follow, of, kind of cool it. i mean
3: very cool to see See Yale make
2: that run. Yeah, amazing for an Ivy League team in this day and age to win a tournament like that. But two of the big reasons they got hot was one was that Steve Racine really came into his own and became a really good goalie at Michigan, and the other is Jacob Truba, who they're really going to miss. Who was the eighth overall pick of the draft a few years ago by Winnipeg and won a gold medal in uh, Russia for Team USA in the World Junior Tournament. It's just a fantastic player. So. They're gonna they're gonna miss him. It's he's the kind of guy that you know if he would ever play four years in college hockey. I mean, he the things he could do by that fourth year. I mean, would be off the charts. I mean, he'll be two years into his NHL career by what would have been a senior <laughs> year. But yeah, so I've been excited to have you on. I mean, you said you were uh, watching some of the stuff I was writing on Twitter, which is really cool. But I was really really enjoying the blog. Uh, we were talking a little bit about before about how you kind of picked up some of the draft stuff, and I really thought. Some of the stuff you did for the draft was just outstanding and I was just curious to see one how you liked it because I know people who 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 really cover the draft and I've noticed this the last couple of days with the draft being moved back to May you've seen some of the negative reaction from some of the guys who cover this thing because it just means it's a longer draft season and and that can it gets to the point where we're almost only focused on the draft for what seems like forever and but before we get into that and changing the time, I'm just curious. How did you like it? I mean, is this something you could see doing more and more of as, as your career moves on at SI? I mean, I I always thought it, it was sort of an undercovered thing by SI since uh, Dr. Z has been out with, with his illness. And Peter King never, I mean, he does a little bit for the magazine as mock draft, but you never feel like it's really his wheelhouse, so to speak. But I thought you guys, I thought you killed it on the blog. I really did. Thanks. I, I definitely
3: appreciate that. and I mean, yeah, it was fun. I, I've always loved the draft and sort of just <laughs> really appreciate uh, how that whole weekend kind of goes down. And I, I don't love the three-day format. I always was kind of partial to when they had it two days. And, you know, even when they had round one, you know, it, stuff sort of all happened during the day, <laughs> during the weekdays and stuff. But uh, I've always loved the draft, so when they came to me and it was honestly like right before the super bowl when i went down to new orleans uh for that and they said you know we're gonna try and change up our draft coverage this year i mean maybe pay a little more attention to some of the things we haven't in the past like you said and and they asked me if i wanted to do it and i said absolutely i thought it'd be cool to give it a shot and uh uh you know it's something where I try to pay attention as much as I can. I, I watch college football pretty religiously anyway, so it, it wasn't a huge stretch there. But, you know, try to pay attention to the scouting reports and the guys that are coming into the league and, you know, watch some tape when I get the time. So it wasn't a huge stretch uh, to sort of make take on that extra duties. I mean, the toughest thing for me, honestly, was you mentioned that there's a lot of very good, you know, year-round draft analysts out there, uh, even – You know, obviously, Kuiper and those guys are well-known, but, you know, guys like Dane Krugler at CBS. I mean, there's a lot of really good draft analysts out there. And so the toughest thing for me was to jump into it after the Super Bowl and try to catch up on, you know, six months of college football stuff uh, and scouting in that little window between the end of the Super Bowl and when the draft happens. So, um You know, I think we did a pretty decent job and it sounds like they want to keep going forward with it and with me doing a lot of it. So hopefully, you know, year two is even better than year one.
2: Yeah, is that something now, like knowing that you're going to do more of it, that maybe you'll do a little bit more on Saturdays as far as checking out guys or, you know, like, oh, I got to get a a chance to watch this guy or that guy here or there, anything extra? Yeah, I think it probably
3: will and, you know, just – circling back and even watching tape on guys have already got sort of a baseline list of like uh 60 or 70 prospects that i you know sort of would like to keep my eye on going into the season i'm sure that'll expand over the next couple months but um just guys that i'd like to sort of track how they're doing and like you said when i can uh at least watch you know a quarter half of of when they're on tv just to to get a better feel for uh some of these prospects especially the guys that i don't necessarily see. You know, I watch Michigan and the Big Ten all the time, so I see those guys and you know the SEC players that are on TV all the time. But uh, it gets a little tougher when you get into you know offensive linemen or the small school prospects. You got to go work a little harder to get those uh, those tapes.
2: Well, and this was such a tough year in that regard too, because there were so many tackles and guards drafted yeah. in the first fifteen picks. But next year, it seems like there's going to be a little bit more of a we'll just say like kind of like a sexier top 10 in the draft with more position players and guys that are a little bit more obtainable guys. You don't have to have the all 22 film to really study, you know what I mean? Like, so it could be better in that sense. And probably this was a tough, uh, maybe a credit to how good you guys did Is kind of a tougher year to jump into it. When the first overall pick is a left tackle from a Mac school.
3: Yeah. <laughs> there definitely were a few more of those guys that, uh, people probably weren't very familiar with. And yeah, next year it's, you know, Teddy Bridgewater and uh Taj Boyd and Marquis Lee. I mean there's gonna be a lot of big names, a lot of guys that are on T V all the time. Johnny Manziel, if he decides to go pro. I mean so it'll be uh you know, more trying to figure out where exactly those guys go than pushing out information about what they can and can't do. I think that was a lot of what we did for the Scouting Airports this year and sort of trying to track who was rising and falling and who did well at the combine because yeah, those offensive linemen and even, to some extent, the linebackers and cornerbacks, stuff like that, people didn't necessarily know that much about them because, you know, you can't just easily sort of pull up stats or pull up a highlight film. So, uh, yeah, it should definitely be interesting to see how it plays out uh,
2: between now and next draft. So it seems like, from your perspective, the extra time to prepare will actually work in your benefit, huh? Since basically if you're picking it up post Super Bowl having those extra couple weeks maybe won't be a terrible thing in your opinion.
0: Yeah I, I mean
3: I, I hope so. <laughs> That's right. certainly what I, I, I hope it works out that way and you know as I said I think that was the hardest for me it was just you know knowing that there were guys that had uh, sort of done the draft stuff all year and been preparing for it and then I was trying to jump in uh, and play expert um, you know in a two month window so there's a lot of catch up work and you know, post-Super Bowl, there <laughs> tends to be, at least until, you know, the free agency starts, or there tends to be a little bit of a lull after the Super Bowl ends, uh, where there's some downtime and you just sort of regroup before the next season and all that stuff. And there, you know, I didn't necessarily have that this year, You know, not that I'm complaining about it or anything, but it, it was different to go into, you know, come home from the Super Bowl and immediately start watching tape of guys again. So... Um, you know I think it was a good experience I think it gave me a, a good idea of what you know works when you're scouting those prospects and what sort of is a waste of time and hopefully that all pays off uh, as like you know if SI continues to let me do it hopefully it all pays off as uh, as we keep keep moving forward on it.
2: You mentioned next season and as we talk today we're exactly 100 days away from the start of the next yeah. season. Uh, what's what kind of things are interesting you the most right now? I imagine it's not the silly things that some sometimes get focused on like where Tim Tebow might wind up or something like that. What are the what kind of things are interesting you in these last 100 days of the offseason as we get closer to the start of the next season? Uh, I think we're in right
3: now you know this is sort of the time teams are in mini camps and OTAs and all that sort of stuff and people are trying to get a feel for who's going to start and you know what those position battles are going to be and it, it really doesn't i don't know the teams really even get into that until training camp so i think for me right now it's more trying to get a feel for what uh specifically the new coaches are going to be doing you know with their schemes and their personnel and there's obviously some high profile ones this year which uh, Chip Kelly in Philadelphia, Andy Reid in Kansas City, um, you know, even uh, Mark Trestman in Chicago, I think will be really interesting to watch. And, uh, there are some coaches on teams that should be able to compete uh, that are stepping into decent situations, so that makes it a little more intriguing. And I think that's really what I, first and foremost, I think that's what I'm keeping my eye on right now.
2: What did you think of... Uh... Adrian Pearson's comments. I mean, it's kind of surprised me a little bit. It's not the kind of guy I would expect. I followed this kid really since he was 17 years old and he first got on the radar as far as a big recruit that Oklahoma was battling Texas with. I'm not really into recruiting necessarily. I'm an Oklahoma fan, but, uh, but this guy, you know, you knew right away what he was going to be. And I've just, I've never known him to misstep like this, especially uh, the way he. I think it brings up a bigger issue of. We get so frustrated with athletes who never say anything, and then sometimes when they do say something, if it's not what we want them to say or what we think the script should be, we tend to turn on them, and I think that sometimes that's why we don't hear as much from them as we might like, why the guys who have so much to lose, like the Michael Jordans and the Tiger Woods, stay so vanilla, because even though we want opinions from them, sometimes we want them to be what we want the opinions to be, or we can can get nasty.
3: Right, yeah, I'm, I mean, I assume you're, this is, referring to the gay marriage Yeah,
2: yeah, 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 it's not, he kind of just said it wasn't for him, but I I don't know, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I mean,
3: I don't know, it's probably interesting to see what the backlash is, um, because as you mentioned, I mean, he was, this isn't where he was, went to, you know, he didn't go to an anti-gay marriage rally or something, you know, specifically asked the question uh, and gave his truthful answer. So, um, (laughs) you know, it it certainly is something now where it's very in uh, the public conscience, I think, and especially with, you know, S.I. specifically had the Jason Collins story coming out, uh, announcing that he was gay, and, you know, Robbie Rogers just came back and played MLS game this weekend and as the first openly gay athlete in that sport I mean it's very uh it's on the top of people's minds I think right now as a a talking point and we sort of saw during Super Bowl week Chris Culliver the 49ers got killed for what his comments uh about that topic and and I don't know that Peterson will get quite the backlash Culliver got because a, like you said, it's Adrian Peterson and he, you know he's a superstar and people love him as an athlete and I think he's... Uh, his story with how hard he came back and how hard he worked to come back from that injury and everything, I think he's a very uplifting story for a lot of people. And he also has the benefit of this happening now as opposed to Super Bowl week like Culver where everyone's paying attention to everything uh, every guy says. So that, that uh, might make it easier to sort of downplay it i I mean it's tough i don't know that he wants to downplay it i mean if that's what he believes and that's uh you know how he feels on the situation uh, uh, that's why i say i think it's tough because as you mentioned you want these athletes to be truthful and when you ask them a question you want them to to give you their honest opinion but uh you know then what do you do when they say something controversial or say something that goes against you know sort of what's maybe the norm and how we look at things inside now so it'll be uh interesting to see how a superstar gets hit with backlash when he makes a comment like that i'm not really sure to be honest how people are going to react
2: i was a little surprised that mike wallace didn't catch a little bit of more backlash right around when he had his comment which was really again kind of like just a personal opinion he really didn't say that what anyone else was doing was wrong. He kind of just, what was it? Something like, I don't understand why guys look at guys and there's so many pretty girls on the beach or something along those right, lines. Yeah.
3: Something like that.
2: But I think, I guess it, people just at that time, I think tended to focus on the Collins story more than, than that one comment there. You know, I, I thought it, he might be in a little bit more trouble than he ended up being in, but I don't know. Pretty interesting. Uh, I, I was reading something on the blog. I really liked It was, uh, you're talking a little bit about the Saints switching from that four three to the three four, and some of the pieces uh, they've had in this off season here. Will Smith, Roman Harper, and Jonathan Vilma make some big contract restructuring deals? And I don't know. As a Saints fan, it kind of has me really excited about the upcoming season because it seems like one people re- the the players there they re- it seems like everyone really wants to be there. Like everyone's really pumped about Peyton being back and. Uh, I think Peter King wrote in his column last week that Peyton has kind of put last year behind them and, and there's a real positive vibe there and it's it's not this us against the world mentality like you might expect. And I don't know, it has me kind of excited. It just seems like there's a real positive aura around the team one year after what was I mean, at this time last year, there couldn't have been a more negative uh aura around the team. I mean, just the way things are going with the Breeze negotiation and the suspensions and I mean everything was just it seemed like every day I was holding my breath and, and not wanting to hear what the next terrible thing was going to be, you know?
3: Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's pretty spot on. And the Peyton return is, is huge for them. They obviously missed him last year, and even though maybe that us-against-the-world mentality isn't necessarily there, I think there is certainly the attitude that they have something to prove after how last year played out, uh, that it just Went so poorly for them without Peyton there And with all the offseason distractions uh, And uh, really it'll come down to that 3-4 And how that defense really responds Because we know they're going to score points You know with Drew Brees and with, you know, the offensive weapons they have That they'll score It's just a matter uh, as it has been for the last few seasons Of whether they can stop anyone or not And uh, uh, you know it'll, it'll be interesting Whenever you take on those those uh scheme shifts it really comes down to how well the guys you already have sort of fit into that scheme shift sometimes it dictates a move and sometimes you make the move in spite of what's on the roster i think the saints are probably somewhere in the middle they had a lot of pieces that made sense uh for the three four and you know they've added a couple more this offseason that really could work there. you know victor butler and they drafted john jenkins and and uh so, they, they definitely have a chance to be really good uh, on both sides of the ball. But, and again, you'll have to sort of wait and see how how well that change works.
2: Well, you got to figure it can't be any worse than last year's defense, considering it was one of the historically awful defenses of all time in the league. So, there's got to be some improvement. And you got to think that Peyton should relax, breeze a little bit. And we won't. It just felt so much last season like. Brees felt he had to be so perfect that sometimes he was trying too hard and made some throws that I had never seen him make in the five or so previous seasons as a saint, and I just felt like he was trying to do too much, trying to be the coach, trying to be the quarterback, trying to be everything, and that maybe took away a little bit from being the quarterback sometimes, you know?
3: Yeah, and they just had such a horrible start to last year too, and yep. I mean it was never going to be easy, you know, Washington with. Their new offense in RG3, all the excitement came with that to start, and then they had to go to Carolina, and they went to Green Bay in that tough stretch to start the year. So, uh, it was always going to be difficult, even if they were running at full strength, but to get off to the start that they did with, you know, 0 and 4, 2 and 5, all that, they really put themselves in such a hole that it was, it was tough to climb back from, uh, you know, no matter what Drew Brees did. So, uh, I think, you have to count them among the favorites in the NFC. I mean, at least in terms of the contenders, you have to think that they're they're right up there if they play well and play to their capabilities. And and uh, I mean, they will be a fun team to watch.
2: Yeah, we should find out a lot that first week again at home against Atlanta too. I think that's a pretty nice one of the better yeah. Sunday afternoon games for sure. That first week. Should be interesting to see. But it's the Audible's blog. Uh, it's at nfl.si.com. And um, you can find Chris on Twitter at Chris B-U-R-K-E, B-U-R-K-E underscore S-I. Uh, f- so from here on out, uh, going from now until off se- or to the regular season, do you post on any kind of like a schedule or is it just something new every day? You just kind of throw stuff up when something comes up? Or what can the listeners kind of like look for here in the next uh, couple of months as we get ready for the season?
3: Uh, we'll do a lot just sort of based off the news that comes out of, you know, camps and training camps and all that sort of stuff and and uh, sort of react to those things the way we always have. And then uh, we've got some bigger features uh, that we're working on too, um, you know, kind of breaking down some players to watch uh, heading into the year. And we started now this Friday uh, feature. We just had our first one uh, sort of a toss-up uh Comparing two guys and then picking which one will have the better year, and that's something that we uh, throw up on Twitter now and have the fans respond to so that their comments are included in the posts and we'll keep doing those for the rest of the season. So uh, hopefully we continue to be a mix of what we've always done, which is I said, sort of reacting to the news and then mixing in some uh, some bigger, more high-profile pieces that uh, you know, kind of play well on the website.
2: Yeah, that Friday t- the first one you did was Cobb versus Harvin, right? I think I I saw yep. that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's really that's really cool. All right, great. So uh, thanks for for joining us, and as uh, always, and uh, I'm sure we'll we'll talk to you sometime between now and the season. Yeah, sounds great. All right, thanks, Chris.
0: Tonight, an unusual, disturbing discovery. A Charlotte area man he made a deal to buy a smoker at an auction. Guess what he found stuffed inside? An amputated leg and has turned the smoker into a tourist attraction. The man who lost the foot in a plane crash is reportedly heading to Not proclaim the foot. Not so fast, says Wisnett. Now Wisnett's getting a lawyer. It is making national headlines. He's suing you for your own leg. It is a freak show, no question. And I turned it off. You never will know about the tragedy that this was born of.
2: (laughs) Welcome back to the Sportscasters. It's the section of the show where we usually do our book club update. But this month, instead of reading in the beautiful hot summer sun, the last couple of weeks we've been doing something different. And that is helping out some friends. Zach, Sooner Zach, Zach, Zachy Score, the Blue Horseshoe, Zach Rosenfield, and Ed Cunningham, who was on our second show back, they are working on a project, a Kickstarter project, a documentary called Finders Keepers. Uh, it's a Stranger Than Fiction documentary by Brian Carberry and Ed Cunningham. They are the producers of The King of Kongs, A Fistful of Quarters, and Undefeated, the Oscar-winning documentary from a couple years ago. And they're working on a project right now. They're trying to raise about eighty grand on Kickstarter. And so far, they're doing pretty good. They have 226 backers for $44,295, roughly half, more than halfway there with 20 days to go. Look, at Kickstarter is this kind of thing that's getting a lot of attention lately because of Zach Braff and Veronica Mars, and <laughs> Rob, Tom- <laughs> yeah. right? Rob Thomas, is that the guy's name? Rob the Thomas? The creator of... Xbox 20? Well, maybe? I know that that's his name too, but isn't it the same? I don't know, maybe. The the creator of Veronica Mars, I think his name is Rob Thomas as well, or it's Rob something. Uh but anyway, Zach Braff and Veronica Mars. It sorry, is Rob Thomas. Yeah, yeah. Uh Kristen Bell is Veronica Mars' name. Right. Both have raised over a million dollars for their specific project. I think Zach raised three million dollars for his project and Veronica Mars, I think they raised about $5 million for their project. You I ever watch
1: Veronica Mars?
2: Yeah, it's a pretty good show. Is it? I've yeah, never...
1: like It was only on for three... I'm looking at the wiki right now. It's only on for three seasons. Right, it's
2: got that geek appeal. Oh, okay. You know, it's kind of like... Uh,
1: like I never, I don't... Uh, Freaks and Geeks or something. I never yeah, knew anybody that watched this show. The premise was, uh, of
2: it is there's this girl who's a high schooler, or was. I don't know where they're going to be picking up the story for the movie. And she... It's from a divorced family, and her dad is a former cop who's now a detective, and she's kind of picking up the detective business. Okay, and she investigates things. It's kind of like the real broad gist of the show, right? Right. But I know it was one of those shows that was always more critically acclaimed and loved by their fans than it was by the people who needed to pay for it, right? You know, and I think even getting the three seasons was kind of a struggle. And ever since it's went off the air, there's been people trying to revive it, and Kickstarter has been the vehicle that has allowed them to do that. Hmm. And uh, you know what? I think what's great about Kickstarter is there's movies and there's books and there's I saw someone on Twitter today there someone was trying to raise twenty five hundred dollars to be able to go to a Gettysburg reenactment so that they could do a photo photo book. Okay. So I mean there's people looking to raise 500 bucks for something and there's people looking to raise millions of dollars for films on this site. And pretty much all the projects which is great about our project Finders Keepers, the one we've been focusing on here they're asking for pledges from a dollar on. Right. And even pledging one dollar gets you something. The one to ten dollar range gets you access to the actual recording of Shannon's call to 911 after finding the lake. That's crazy. So even for one dollar you're getting something and, and the things that are available from there go up and up and up, all the way to the point of paying $10,000, although these are gone now. So you can't even do this anymore. But they found three people to pledge $10,000 to get an executive producer credit on the film, which means an IMDb, on-screen credits. Sweet. Two rough cuts of the film. But there is still five spots to get in at the associated producer level. If you are got five grand sticking around, you want to throw at this. Cool. <laughs> but, yeah. So check it out. Kickstarter.com. Search for Finders Keepers. And also check out their Facebook page, which is Facebook.com slash, what is it, Finders Keepers Film? Is that right?
1: I don't have it in front of me. But check out their original stuff, too, if you haven't. It's really good. King of Kong I loved. And uh, the other one obviously won an Oscar. So. Yeah, and it was
2: great. I can I've seen them both and I love them both. They're both really great films, and that's why we're we're doing this, not because we have to or because we're getting any from anything from them to do it. it, Right, we're just doing it because we like Zach and we like Ed, and they've helped us out in the past. We're looking at this as a way to help out them, and because we believe in the project and we believe in these guys as filmmakers, we think it's a great thing. So we're gonna take a break and come back with Ed Sherman. Our next guest is from Chicago, Illinois, and is a graduate of the University of Illinois. He spent 27 years at the Chicago Tribune covering the 85 Bears, working the White Sox beat, and covering golf. He spent his last 11 years at the Tribune working on the sports media beat. He has co-authored two books, hosts a sports radio show that focuses on golf, and has a sports media website called The Sherman Report. He is making his third appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscasters welcome to Ed Sherman. How are you doing today, Mister Sherman?
0: Very good. Thanks for having me on. Glad to see that you're back and rolling again on sportscasters.
2: Yeah, we're excited to have you on. Um, I was reading the the site today, and uh, it seems like Chicago has got a little bit of hockey fever suddenly <laughs> over there, huh? So this, you know,
0: it it's it, it's really remarkable when you consider that it wasn't even like. Uh, a sniffle. I mean, you wouldn't. You know, it wasn't even anything. You know, six, seven years ago, when this was a town they could barely, you know, that they, they were, they were, they were going crazy if they did a point five rating, which was like, uh, you know, uh, fifteen, twenty thousand homes tuning in. And, and last night, I mean, they probably had five hundred thousand homes tuning in. And and it's just the buzz on the street and, and people. We were out on Sunday um, or Saturday. It was Saturday prior to game. Five and they're down three to one, and you're out at all these. You know, we're just out at various stores, and you just see people walking around in Blackhawks jerseys. It, it's really was quite a sight. Something you wouldn't have seen, as I said. You know, two thousand seven, two thousand
2: eight. Right, and you know, it's pretty cool for someone from Buffalo too, because you you feel like Pat Kane is, is such a big part of that, and him obviously growing up in South Buffalo and uh, being a big part of of what's going on with hockey in Buffalo, and being a part of now what's going on with hockey in Chicago. Not that he's had the best playoffs so far. He hasn't. We're
0: still waiting for him to show up a little
2: bit. But, yeah, exactly. Uh, you know. He has Him and Captain Sirius have struggled right. a little bit, really, right since the, the, cup, the cup run uh, last time. They've both uh, really struggled quite a bit with scoring goals. But put into perspective, because the big thing was that the Blackhawks game last night against the Red Wings game six was able to kind of double the rating that the White Sox and the Cubs did. Kind of put into perspective what... White Sox Cubs generally means to the town and what it means for an NHL playoff game to score a rating like that against I saw someone said to you on Twitter, well it of course it did. It's it's a May baseball versus playoff hockey, but people don't realize it's like, how yeah, it's not, you know,
0: we weren't talking about the Cubs playing uh, you know, the Padres and the White Sox playing the Royals or something like that. We were talking about the Cubs playing the White Sox, which is the traditional rivalry in this town, even as bad as both well the Cubs uh, or bad the white Sox have actually played somewhat decent in may so they're back around 500 but still they're not really resonating um they've had trouble trouble drawing fans um
2: you know so they've been kind of
0: still a non-factor but still it's cub socks it's you know goes back to 1906 when they played each other in the world series it's a big heated passionate rivalry it's a lot of fun to go to those games because it's you know it's it's split. I mean, so probably usually a little bit more Cub fans than Sox fans, but it, it's pretty vocal. It's pretty intense, and uh, and it still, you know, did a pretty good rating last night, uh, combined rating, on um, both the, the two local outlets, WGN and Comcast SportsNet. But the Blackhawks doubled their rate, doubled that rating last night. Uh, you know, hockey doubling baseball. And, uh, and they, they were on NBC Sports Network here. It doubled the rating for baseball for a cubs Sox game, and this that wasn't an NBA, an NHL final. You're talking about it's right, still, a con- exactly. you know, it's a yeah. conference semifinal. It's still a long way to go in this thing. Obviously, it was an elimination game. It's Hawks-Detroit. I mean, there's a lot of things working, but still, it, you know, again, it's even though it's a, it's not a surprise. It, it still is a surprise. It's given in baseball. In this town, and also hockey, and you know, kind of how it's come from nowhere in recent years. Even as late as two thousand and ten, the numbers weren't what they were. What when the Blackhawks won the Stanley Cup, the numbers weren't at where they are now.
2: Just curious: Does the NBC Sports Network is it available on all the main carriers on a basic package at this point, or is do some? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah I believe okay. so. I mean, I, I'm not an expert. I right. get Comcast, so and it's been on my package for a long
0: time. I don't know if it's on...
2: I know it is, direct TV. Every packet, right.
0: I'm pretty sure it is, because otherwise I'd hear a lot more complaints about it, so I really haven't, but I might be wrong. It might be a few, that word's not available, but I haven't heard complaints that it's not available here in Chicago.
2: Now, do you do you see, it seems like the NHL is set up here to really have a strong spring with the market set of... I said right from the beginning that Gary Bettman would probably do backflips from New York to Pittsburgh to Chicago if he could ever get... Blackhawks versus Penguins, Stanley Cup, because it just seemed like with the season that both of those teams had and the stars that are set up on both of those teams and the markets, Pittsburgh is one of the best local markets for the NHL. So I think as long as they can keep them around and keep Crosby in it, they'll keep Canada involved that way, especially with Crosby and Taves that keeps Canada involved, which is good for them. But it seems like they're set up really, they're getting close to a can't-lose scenario. I think they're right where they would want to be in Boston, and Pittsburgh, where Pittsburgh would be your first choice, and Boston would be your second. And I think I think if they can get LA to win tonight and get, then they're in a position where they can go into tomorrow thinking, well, we'll take Detroit or Chicago. Probably still would want Chicago, but I think that this could be their best spring in a long time. And maybe I'm curious to see what you think about this. Thursday night they're going to get Game Seven with no NBA playoffs at all because Wednesday night or yeah Wednesday night. Excuse me, they're going to get that game that Game Seven with. Two original six teams, Chicago and Detroit, already doing well through six games, and they're going to get that unopposed. Is this really a great opportunity for the NHL?
0: Yeah, I think so. You would think, you know, I mean, I think that they really would like either Black, the Blackhawks or Detroit to get out of, out of the West. I mean, because those are such huge, they're big markets, they're big local markets. And those local, you know, I wrote a few, uh, last week. Um, by the way, I'm back contributing again to the Chicago Tribune, so that was my. It's been fun to do that. And I wrote in the Tribune last week about how the Chicago market, number three market in the country, you know, when you start having those big numbers, it really, uh, in local numbers in Chicago, it impacts the national number quite a bit. So NBC is definitely rooting for the, for the Blackhawks to, uh, I would think, to get through all the way to the finals. And to play in extended finals with, uh, you know, Pittsburgh, I think, you know, we're to, there's two things that work in the East. There's a, you know, Boston is a huge rabbit market and has, you know, they're getting huge numbers for, um the bruins games pittsburgh even though their local numbers are off the charts it's a smaller market so i'm not sure the overall number is as high as it would be in boston chicago but pittsburgh gives you that star factor of Sidney crosby the one guy that people kind of know about in the league even if you don't know hockey you know you know you have a reasonable idea who Sidney crosby is and he's he's one of those players like a lebron james we do tune in to watch so it's set up pretty well i don't think that they want um You know, I think that they would necessarily not want San Jose in there.
2: No, that's the one they don't want. Or, you know, uh,
0: but otherwise I think uh, there's a lot of good possibilities for the the NHL. And, you know, again, you keep getting these seven-game series. you got two in the conference semifinals, and you keep getting these seven-game series. That's where the big ratings come. So it's, it's, it's really been a very good time for the NHL to really kind of skyrocketing, you know, they're really capitalizing on a lot of good stuff, and I really think that that NBC Sports, NBC package has also worked very well for them, too.
2: Yeah, I I can't believe we're even having this discussion. I I think if you had asked me in January, I would have said they weren't going to have a season at all, and it seems like at this point, people forgot there even was a lockout.
0: Well, you remember, they came out of the gates doing huge numbers, which suggested If you really want to drive up your numbers, you know, cut off half your season and make your fans hungry. They came out with huge numbers, and it just continued. Uh, And, uh, you know, the Blackhawks really helped spur those numbers with getting off to that record start. So there was interest, again, beyond the normal hockey fan. Um, And I think it just kind of continued, you know, and uh, the return of Crosby and, and the Penguins doing well. And you had, you know, the Rangers and the Bruins and a lot of different teams uh so it's again I think that you know you have to I I keep looking at that format that they've done you know it wasn't remember a few years ago everyone was saying the NHL's got to get back on the ESPN they run versus nobody got versus you know there was a lot of you and cry and they decided to stay with versus versus became NBC Sports Network and now they're you know now they've got a system now where they're showing every you know they, the smartest thing they did was to do this platform where they show every game in the first you know, every game, playoff game, period, right. on multiple platforms. So it means in the first round, you could have as many as four games on. And so people were flipping the channels just like they do for the NCAA basketball tournament, maybe not with a pool involved, you know, money involved, but there was that idea that there was something always kind of happening, and you could, if the one game was bad, there might be a good finish somewhere else. And I think it really, this is the second year they've done it, and I think it's been a huge success I think you're seeing that carryover into the regular season where people have sampled it during the playoffs, and now they're interested going into the regular season. obviously there's you know a lot of hockey fans, but I think they're they're growing by judging by the numbers they're growing some new fans too
2: yeah that's. It's crazy. It's it's not it's not the discussion I would have expected to have with you. You know, five months ago, for sure. What about the NBA this spring? How has their playoffs treated them numbers wise and and in the media? You know, I always have had a problem with the basketball playoffs, and maybe it's because I'm a little bit disconnected to the NBA. But I always feel like I never know where to go to find it. And I, I mean, I know yeah, that- well, you know, yeah, right. And it's like so. They, you know, I think. Yeah, either you're either going to be on
0: Turner or ESPN, and you have to kind of do, you do have to kind of search for it a little bit, but you do get used to, okay, who has the East, who has the West, you know, who's got tonight, you know, where, you know, obviously with the NBC, NBC Sports Network now, you know that they have everything, but people find it. I mean, I think it's right now, it's a lot, you know, thank goodness, you know, the NBA's got to be saying thank goodness for Miami and LeBron James because. Um, uh, you know, they, San Antonio, for as great a team as they are, and Tim Duncan, who might, you know, is a, probably a top-ten player of all time, you know, it does not move the needle. That franchise does not move the needle at all. And here's it, you know, and then they just swept Memphis, another team that, you know, it's not the Lakers, it's not Dallas with Mark Cuban and Nowitzki, you know, and, you know, some of the other glamour teams out there, you know, you know uh, Kevin Durant. So I would—I haven't seen the final numbers, but I can't imagine they did, you know, very well compared to uh, the other possibilities. But you know, Miami and LeBron James—I mean, LeBron James is the biggest name in sports right now. He's the guy who, you know, who really people watch. And so I think as long as they have, you know, him in there and that, and that team in there, people will tune in. You know, if Indiana somehow comes back and and rallies and beats the. Uh, the heat and you have an indiana san antonio final with you know no with indiana really not having any name players to speak of i would have to say you know pretty much all bets are off but as long as you have miami going in there and lebron going for a second straight title and the duncan i think you know i mean there will be some kind of you know i think i think in the next week or so leading up to the playoffs there's going to be this groundswell of kind of who is this guy and, 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 uh, and there'll be an appreciation of of uh... What this guy has done in his career, and I think his star will probably—I think this will probably elevate his star more so than in other years because the, the, the package of work is so impressive, and the you know the gap between his first NBA Finals and and this one has been 13 years, which is just phenomenal. But the guy still plays at this top of the game, so I think is if you kind of heat Spurs with with uh, LeBron and Duncan, I think that those numbers will still do pretty pretty strong. Not. Not the Lakers and Kobe, but I still think that you know that LeBron and the Heat will carry the day.
2: What's the attitude in Chicago towards everything that's gone on in the spring with, with Derrick Rose? I know the perception hasn't been great nationally. It seems like he's taken a little bit of a beating, but people who are a little bit closer to it there, is he getting a little bit of a pass or is he taking a No, same? not a pass at all. Really yeah.
0: not. I mean, he's taken a pretty good beating here. Okay. I think a lot of people were impatient. They're a little dismayed. You know, this guy had been the favorite son he, a guy who was humble, you know, unbelievable player on the court, and just a perfect example of guy being, you know, humble and self-effacing off the court, you know, and uh, and I think that this, I kind of think people were really taken aback by what happened. You know, I don't think it helped very much that the Bulls went on this run with a bunch of guys playing on one leg and Joakim Noah and what you know. uh you know, having bad feet and uh, Spinal
2: taps while dang, being <laughs> sick
0: and Kirk Heim going 60 minutes in a game where he didn't play another game the rest of the season because his calf was all ripped up. I mean, and then here you have this guy at the end of the bench who's, you know, looking very dapper in his sport coat every night, uh, not, uh, you know, not, not playing. So I think he definitely took a hit there. And I think that, uh, you know, if he comes back and plays well, I think, you know, all will be forgiven. But if there's some, you know, I think if he if he doesn't come back, I mean, I don't think people are going to knock him if he doesn't play well, but I don't think that, uh, you know, because people then will, I think he'll have a little period to kind of get back into the gear, so to speak. But I think that, uh, you know, I think he needs to play well to kind of get that favorite son status again, because if not, I think he's going to be one of those guys, you know, it could be, it might not end up well for him here, you know. If it, if it, if there's a, continues to be this avalanche of not so good stuff going on, I think that there will be some backlash, and I think he'll also have feel of backlash, and he might want out of Chicago and a fresh start. So I think the hope is that he eventually that he comes back in October, and that he plays, and that he's Derrick Rose again, and, uh, and then the Bulls can start thinking about challenging, really challenging the Heat.
2: Sportscasters here talking to Ed Sherman from ShermanReport.com. dot com. Uh, A few more things before I let you go. You know, I listen to Howard Stern a lot, and uh, he was talking about how in the uh, the auditions for America's Got Talent that Chicago has been the city so far that has had the best talent. And is there any truth to the rumor that the act that he's most impressed with so far is actually an Ed Sherman circus type show? That
0: yes, yes, sure, yes, yes. You know, I'll take him out. I'll take Howard out. I'll watch him, he can watch me try to play golf, you know, I think that would be the extent of my, uh, I think, uh, I like Howard a lot too, but I don't think I'll be on his show anytime soon, but but, uh, yeah, we, you know, I mean, listen, you look at all the talent that's come out of Chicago and the music that's, you know, that, that, that occurs here, uh, I'm not surprised, I mean, we're a pretty good town, I think, if, I always said, if the, Weather wasn't ridiculously stupid most of the time. Uh, I think we'd have about you know three times the population living here because it's just a
2: phenomenal city. The great Eddie Vedder, born in in Chicago, at the Chicago area, so lots of lots of people yeah. born in Chicago. Um, I wanted to ask you about the summer. What are the big kind of sports media things that you'll be tracking over the summer? Is there anything? I mean, there's no Olympics till the winter. And uh, there's no World Cup or anything like that, like we've had the last couple summers. So, what is uh, what's going? Well, to- I think
0: a couple things. I think they're related. to I think the big story will be the, the unveiling of Fox Sports One right. in August. I think that uh, I think we'll, you know that's the new that's going to be Fox version of ESPN, and there might even be a Fox Sports Two in there too. Um, so, I think that's going to be the big summer to kind of see, and we're already kind of seeing. A little bit of you know uh, of some of the people that they're hiring to do this, their version of Sports Center and, uh, at 11 p.m. Uh, Eastern Time show. Show that's going to be kind of uh, you know they hired Andy Roddick last week for it, and uh, you know they've already hired a couple guys from Canada, and um, you know, and so uh, you know, so they've hired some people. So I think that that you know they're doing some show, some daytime show involving Regis Philbin. That just sounds to me like. You know, it could has the potential to be very weird, very odd, and very short-lived. Uh, but who knows? You know, they, they, I think that they're if they, they these guys are the you know, Fox has the reputation for being the kind of people who like to take risks and 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 uh, and, and take uh, you know, experiment. And so, I think that they're going to try to see. If they can create a few things, and a few things might not work, but if the things do work, uh, then they're off and running. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens. Uh, you know, what kind of what they create, and uh, I think that that's going to obviously be the big uh, media story in the summer. A lot of people are going to be interested that you know to see that there's actually a choice, an alternative to going to ESPN for something like SportsCenter
2: kind of a last thing here one thing that you've been writing quite a bit about the last couple of weeks that i've been following quite a bit is kind of the evolution that's taking place at sports illustrated and mm-hmm. they're wanting to expand on si.com and you wrote that they're going to be debuting a show on i think monday uh mm-hmm. that's yeah, 30 minute thing and you know i was thinking i gotta try to find a way to make them expanding si.com work for me because you know we're really good bo- we're boys with the executive editor at si we got to start <laughs> you got to get in there right yeah you know what i mean
0: again you know we saw it uh, with the rollout of the jason collins thing that you know that it didn't happen in the magazine they didn't wait until the magazine came out they rolled they rolled it out on a monday morning while the magazine was still going to press now obviously you know that there's a different feel once you get the magazine in your hand you see the picture on the cover but that was uh you know that showed that the, how they're you know they're thinking differently and that SI.com has become a huge part of that engine and uh, they, the writers are writing pretty much you know, all the time for it now instead of once a week or once every three weeks uh, their main guys are writing constantly and uh, now they're going to have this TV show in which the writers are going to be featured uh, it's going to be a 30 minute show that you can see on the internet they're going to Marion uh, Country Club in Philadelphia for the US Open they're going to go to big events they're going to showcase their people. They're going to have big names in the in the studio. I'm sure when they come to New York. So um, again, it kind of shows the evolution of this brand. And maybe it's kind of you know was overdue. I mean, there's been some talk that hey, you know that they that they've been kind of slow to jump on the train. Uh, yes or no? That could be debated. But they're certainly uh, you know they're certainly going full speed right now. And they you know they have that name and they have the talent to kind of be a a, a factor here. And, and grow the product be way beyond the magazine.
2: Yeah. I, I think the things that they've done on the iPad for a while have been really, really good. And I think if they can build off of that, I mean, we love their writers. We, You know, we have strong relationships with a oh, lot sure. of their writers. And, and I, I think, like you said, they do have the talent. And I'm really excited to see how Peter King's website turns out, too.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that, that was a that was a great... Decision for them, I mean that was probably a way to keep him at the magazine to give him his own website, but why not? I mean the Monday morning quarterback he does is a is a huge popular feature, so why not extend on that brand and 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 give him that um, that website that shows you what you can do you know he's the guy Peter King who showed you know making a brand for yourself and now he 's going to have a website, and I think that's going to be a very popular website for. For NFL fans, because of the, of who Peter is and the kind of staff that he's assembled, um, so again, and I would expect there would be a big video component in there and some other, you know, other things too. Uh, you know, I think Sports Illustrated is doing a lot of things to kind of, you know, as 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 the, the editor said in my interview, to kind of tear down the walls and kind of make everything kind of flow seamlessly. And again, it, if they were if it was overdue, well. Yeah, but, you know, maybe, but, but uh, you know, they're definitely there and rolling right now.
2: The website is www.shermanreport.com, and you can find them on Twitter at Sherman underscore report. Anything else Are you left out?
0: No, I think we're, you know, I think it's going to be an interesting few weeks here with hockey. You know, it'd be interesting to see if, you know, the, thing with, the only thing with the hockey that I'm concerned about is that it's going to go really late in the summer because right. of the lockout, and so will people kind of stick with it that late into the season. and um,
2: The plan is June uh, 15th for Game 1, I believe. Right, and you know right. those
0: things stretch out over two weeks. So yep. If you get a Game 7, I think Game 7 go to June 28th or something like that. That's yep. pretty late for hockey. But again, if you have a compelling series, it should take care of
2: everything. Thanks, Ed. Thank you. Talk to you soon. All right, got to thank Chris Burke and Ed Sherman for being on the podcast today. Don't forget that next week, Jeff Passan from Yahoo Sports and the auth- one of the three authors of Death to the BCS is going to be on the show and also hopefully should be Malcolm Kelly on the show next week. Uh, don't forget last week we had Kenny Albert and Ben Ryder on the show. You can find that at www.sports-casters.com. You can also find our stuff on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. You can email us at sportscasters.gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at sports underscore casters. All right, uh, one last piece of business for today, and Don's going to get us started.
1: All right, one more thing for me. Uh, I had trouble thinking of one this week a little bit. Maybe it was the holiday weekend. I'm out of the zone a little bit. Too much too much hamburgers and steak and all that good stuff. But uh, And troops. And troops. Yeah, it's about the troops. You reminded me that this weekend, locally... 97 Rock is a channel.
2: That's our classic rock channel. Classic rock channel. If you're
1: if you're our age, it's a channel you grew up listening to while your dad was driving the car. Uh, They do a rock and roll 500, which is 500 a 500 to one countdown of the greatest songs in rock and roll history. Apparently, the rules
2: made before 1987
1: or something, right? The rules of this contest, uh, if it is one, are a little bit fuzzy, and they claim it's based on votes. I don't know how you vote, and the results always seem to be eerily similar. Not exactly the same, but uh, in a surprise victory, Stairway to Heaven this year, number one rock and roll. That is shocking. Uh, It's probably won every year I've ever listened to the Rock and Roll 500, and you brought up some interesting points about... Okay, Stairway to Heaven is now however many years old, probably 50 years old. I think old.
2: 74,
1: I think, was Led Zeppelin four. Okay, so forty, almost 40 years old. Uh, what does Freebird have to do to pass it at this point? Like, what can Freebird do?
2: Yeah, people get on the bills. Uh, sev- November 71, Led Zeppelin four. People get on the bills for losing four straight Super Bowls, but how many straight Rock and Roll 500s has Leonard Skinner and Freebird lost consecutively? It's getting embarrassing at this point. And really, is there anything they can can do to appeal to the voters, to give it that needed push to get over the stairway to heaven hump?
1: Yeah. I I don't know anyone that's ever voted for this personally, so I question whether or not there even is a vote. But I want to know whose job it is to arrange these because they're not changing the list all that much. Because before you even asked me about it, Or before I looked into it, uh, I assumed that Stairway to 1, and I wasn't shocked to find it did win. Uh, Rounding out the top 10, Freebird at number 2, Hotel California number 3, Turn the Page number 4, Dream On 5, Comfortably Numb 6, Hey Jude 7, Sweet Home Alabama, Leonard Skinner get entered twice. Number 8, More Than a Feeling by Boston and Cashmere also rounding out the top 10, uh, another Led Zeppelin song.
2: What was song five hundred one? Rebel Yell by Billy Idol was number five (laughs) hundred.
1: What just missed the list? Yeah,
2: like something that's not.
1: uh, I'm surprised they have five hundred songs in their rotation. Like, don't you have to like pay or? I don't know how radio play works. Is there a chance
2: that Rebel Yell won't be on the countdown next year? Like, we'll have to track it. Yeah, Uh, I want to know. I don't know what the biggest bubble songs, what the biggest
1: climbers were this year. Like I want, I want someone uh, with too much time on their hands to go back through every year of the Rock and Roll 500 and chart where these songs were. I want to see the Stairway to Heaven graph, even though that would probably be mostly like a straight line. But I want to see what I want to see a song that jumped 100 spots this year for some reason.
2: Well, I know one song or songs by a band that's kind of a newer edition. It's Guns N' Roses. Guns N' Roses isn't a band that's been played on this station. Are they on the list? A, yeah, they are. Their highest uh, ranking song, I believe, is "Welcome to the Jungle," and it's around the thirty range.
1: I see Sweet Child of Mine at fifty-one.
2: Okay, that might have been the highest one. I see fifty-one. Yeah, that might be the highest one. Okay. So, I would guess that ten years ago, that wasn't in the top five hundred.
1: So, is somewhere are there people that are only listening to ninety-seven rock that are just getting? Guns and Roses for the first time, and like that's why they made this is jump like, all of a sudden. Is it like the
2: Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Like in a few years, will Pearl Jam have enough years in to be considered classic rock and be eligible for this list?
1: I'm so maybe, but like Guns and Roses is the only one even that seems to bridge that gap, like the '90s late eight or, or '80s and '90s gap. Right. I don't I mean see...
2: that was '87. I'm positive of that 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 album debuted.
1: So late '80s. I don't see anybody else that even like bumps into that really. Like Even uh, the Tom Petty stuff is all older Tom. Odd list. I I doubt it's changing much, but uh, really, someone out there, if you can point me to a 97 Rock, Rock and Roll 500 chart where I can see. I would just love to know what goes into making a band jump. Like you said, Guns N' Roses, maybe they weren't on there 10 years ago, but now they've jumped all the way up to 50. Maybe they'll be number one in a few years. Maybe. Maybe that's what we should push for. We're talking about pushing for one. To climb the chart, Yeah,
2: I would love to know if like in a vote for the worst type of thing, if we could arrange, if this is truly based on voting, if we could get a grassroots campaign going with, and gather enough support for one song that we could see it make an impact. Maybe it doesn't get all the way to number one because I know there's millions of Buffalonians <laughs> just flooding 97 Rock with stairway to heaven votes every year. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe, you know, something like, uh, oh, I don't know. Rocket Man by Elton John. Maybe we can get enough people to move that from number 217 to number 5. And,
1: and if this was really voted for, it means they do it in one of a couple ways. Either, A, someone's filling out their own personal top 500 <laughs> and then submitting that as a vote. Or you're voting for, like, your top, top five. 3, 5 yeah. songs. And then if the people are voting for their top 5 songs, there's no way it gets to 500, right? No.
2: I I think this is a big sham. And who... <laughs> like... I want my money back. I want to know, rock. too, how many people got Rebel Yell on their top five to get it in to the top 500. And exactly. Like how my, many votes did it need? Did it need right. 50 or a thousand or five?
1: I, I want answers. Carl Russo. Yeah. Of we got rock
2: behind the behind the scenes. Of
1: I'll, I'll have to. My brother's interning there now. I'll have to see uh, not at 97 Rock, but the broader whatever spectrum of radio channels. I'll have to see if he knows any has any inside information on the. And rock I wonder and roll if controversy
2: hurts this. Like when the singer of Judas Priest came out of the closet, did that affect the Judas Priest songs? Did there, is there a backlash to that? Is it not rock and roll enough and caused Judas Priest to fall out? Oops, that noise you heard was Chrome not finding
1: Judas Priest in the top 250 rock songs.
2: Oh, yeah, they're, I know they're in the top 500. Hmm. Because the list online has to be broken off into two sections for some reason. Well,
1: this list raises more questions than it answers, and uh, that's all I got about it.
2: All right, moving on. One last thing for today. Let's switch to movies. One thing that I'm losing touch with, apparently, is what is worth $10 at the movie theater to the American moviegoer. Because this summer has proven to me that what draws me out of the house and into the theater isn't what draws the average American out. This weekend, $97 million worth of people, whatever that turns out to be per person. How many people that is in dollars, I don't know. But Fast and the Furious, in four days, made $97 million. Fast and the Furious Part 6. Not Part 1, Part 6. And right behind that was 41 million people who went out to see The Hangover Part 3, And 37 million worth of people went to see Star Trek Into Darkness, which is what number Star Trek movie? I mean, I know it's it's a relaunch. Right, right. It's a new director. That's the only one
1: I'm interested in of those three.
2: But Iron Man 3 is another film that's made $367 million in four weeks. And that is another sequel. Uh, I just, I don't know. When I think of every movie that's been released this summer... The movie that I'd like to see the most is Pain and Gain, which has made a reasonable forty-eight million dollars in five weeks for a movie that stars Marky Mark and The Rock. Yeah, but I, it just seems like an interesting film from the promotion of it. I'd want to see that. I, I don't know. I just Fast and the Furious Six is the one that blows me out the most because at some point that franchise was uninteresting and dead, right? What happened to revive it to the point that they're making a hundred million dollars in a weekend? Vin Diesel no
1: competition? Is still the star. Maybe I mean maybe if there was if this was last year with the Dark Knight and the Avengers, that movie probably gets murdered. I would imagine at the box office, so it might just be a total lack of competition. What's the big summer blockbuster coming out? I mean, I know you said you're interested in painting Game, but I don't think that's yeah. A... That's not a bo- that's by right. far
2: not a blockbuster. I think the other ones that are coming out, Will Smith and his son have a movie that's about yeah. I don't care about Earth it. ending I, I, I or something.
1: Know. I know there's that. Uh, might just be a bad summer for movies. And people still want to go.
2: Well, I knew going into the summer that it was going to be heavily sequel.
1: Yeah, and that, that it was
2: loaded with sequels. Let's see. Next weekend it looks like After Earth. That's the That's Will Smith one. Will Smith one is the big one. The following weekend, the Internship, which I know is a comedy starring Vince Vaughn. Okay. Uh, that looks <laughs> like it's the big one. Uh, Man of Steel. Superman. Okay, that'll That's be in the, the middle that'll of be the big one. The I bet. summer, June fourteenth, that comes out. That should be really big. If Iron Man three can make a three hundred million dollars, I don't see why a Superman movie couldn't. Right. Sure. Monsters University, which is a That'll be big. Pixar pick that yeah. should do really really big numbers. Despicable Me 2, that's another movie along those lines, right? Grown Ups, sure. Grown Ups 2, uh, yeah. Not interested at all. No. Tough movie for tough summer for movies and but it's not stopping people from going.
1: Yeah, r- real quick before you sign out there, you're talking about how maybe you've lost touch with movies? I'm going on a year since I've been in a theater. I just looked up. I think the, I'm pretty sure the last movie I've seen was The Dark Knight Rises, and that was July twentieth, twenty twelve. So wow,
2: what was the last movie? I I went to one over Christmas, so that's the last time I think I went to the movies. And
1: it's not for lack of money because I have a buttload of uh, gift cards gift sitting cards in my wallet.
2: <laughs> I just I guess I'm too picky. You know what? I saw movie wise that might get me out is the Transit Drive-In, which is a drive-in local oh, here. Oh, he's doing a retro. He's doing like 80s movies. and Back to the Future Miss Caster like that. has been dying for me to take her and my dog to the drive-in because my dog loves popcorn. Hmm. And she thinks that he'd have a lot of fun at the drive-in. And the Karate Kid in Ghostbusters is playing one night. Sweet. So maybe I'll go out to that. That'd but be a good one. I don't think... I think probably the movie that has the best chance to get me out is the Superman one. Yeah. That's what it looks like at this point. And... The next movie I'm definitely going to is Anchorman 2, which I know comes out at Christmas time. Sweet. So, all right. We'll see you next week.